It's nice to see you today. We're in part three of our six-part series on how to win at work or advance in your career. It's good to have you here. Last week, we looked at job satisfaction. Uh, This week, we're looking at job success. And next week, we're going to look at job stress. So the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon, it says he's the wisest man to ever live. He wrote two books that were just all about practical wisdom. It was Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs is kind of written on the optimistic side, and Ecclesiastes is sort of pessimistic in how it words things and what it talks about. But in Proverbs, work is a major theme. You know, it doesn't talk that much about church or in their day going to the synagogue, but it talks about work. That's a major theme in the book of Proverbs, and it's written by the guy that's supposed to be the wisest person to ever live. So he must know what he's talking about when it comes to work. And he gives six winning ways that you can have success at work. In Proverbs 16.3, it says, commit your work to the Lord, then it will succeed. So in the Bible there it says, commit your work to the Lord. God wants you to succeed at work. God wants you to be successful. God's dream for your life isn't to get a job and be unsuccessful. His desire is for you to be successful by committing your work to the Lord. Well, we have to figure out what that means. How do I commit my work to the Lord? In Proverbs 3, 6, it says, In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. That's how you do it. In everything you do, you put God first. So you want to have success You want to put God first in your work. That means handling your work according to biblical principles. I'm going to approach my work in a way that God would be proud of. So there's six uh, winning ways of Solomon when it comes to work. And these will work if you're a homemaker, if you're a CEO of a company, if you're in school and you're still a student, if you're the boss or if you're an employee, if you're in the military, If you're retiring or if you're just starting out, the principles work for everybody, regardless of the situation you're in with work. Since there are his winning ways, I made an acrostic. If you look at the first letter of each word going down your notes, it spells the word winner. So how can I be a winner at work? Number one in your notes, work with a purpose. People that win at work, they work with a purpose. That's the difference between being successful and unsuccessful. People that are successful, they have a purpose. They clearly know what their purpose is. This is what I'm shooting for. These are my goals. And they're going for it. They know why they're there, what they're trying to accomplish. In Proverbs 17, 24, it says, An intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. It says the intelligent person aims at right actions. He's not trying to do 50 things at once. He's got his aim. You have a target on something. That word aim, you know, if you're shooting a gun or an arrow, you have a target. You're aiming at something. It's very clear what you're trying to do. If you're working but you don't have a clear goal for your life, you don't really have direction. And you probably won't be successful. People that are going to be successful, they clearly have goals that they're trying to do. They're aiming for something specifically. We are going to do this, and they're aiming for it. Even Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, had purpose 
in what he did. If a 12-year-old can have purpose in what he's working for, we can. Listen to what he says. I don't have this in your notes, but it's his first recorded words in the Bible. When he was 12 years old, it says, I must be about my father's business. Does that sound like he has a, a purpose? I must be about my father's business. He knew clearly what he was about. He was about serving God. This is what he's going to do. God has a plan for me, and I'm going to do it. Paul said, this one thing I do. He didn't say these 40 things I do. He said, this one thing I do. Because you can't do 40 things. If you're shooting at 40 or 50 things, you're not going to do well at anything. But you have to target. You have to aim. You have to realize, if I'm going to have success, we're going to do this one thing, and we're going to do it well. You know, we're going to be known for chicken or, you know, whatever it is that you're selling. We're going to be known for this. And it's very clear what you're doing. You're not trying to do 100 things. Once you get successful, you can start adding other things on. You see the successful businesses, they start off with one thing, they do it well. Then they add this. Then they add that. Then they add this because then they have the resources and the help and the people to pull it off. But it starts by a clear aim of one thing that we're going to do well. In Proverbs 13, 6, it says, A wise man thinks ahead, a fool doesn't, and even brags about it. I don't think that people plan to fail. They just fail to plan. A wise man thinks ahead. There's the idea of I'm planning ahead. I want to be successful. I'm planning ahead. How much money do you want to make? Well, you can have wishful thinking and say, I want to make this much money. And that's all it's going to be. Or you can plan okay, for me to make this much money, what am I going to have to do? And you come up with a strategy and a plan of how to get there. But you're not going to make that much money just because it's the desire of your heart. And we have this false idea that I'm a Christian. It's the desire of my heart. So I'm just going to pray to God and he's going to work it out. You won't find that in the Bible. He's given us specific things that we have to do. That's, this is the Bible that we're talking about. You know, okay, I need to have an aim. I need to have goals. I need to know what I'm shooting for. We have to handle it correctly. In Proverbs 21.5, it says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit. How did they get profitable? The plans of the diligent. They were diligent in their planning. So as a Christian, we're not going to be successful just for wishful thinking. I've got faith. I've got so much faith. God's going to bless me with riches. You're not going to get successful that way because faith without works is useless. What you're going to do is you, got, you have to diligently plan for it. This is where I want to be. This is where I am. How do I get from here to there? You make diligent plans to get there. God is saying, I'm showing you how to have success. I'm showing you what to do. It's not just going to happen with wishful thinking. I talk to people in midlife crises and they say, you know, I worked so long and so hard for what? Well, a lot of times it's because they just didn't have any goals. They didn't have a real purpose behind it. It's really wise to write down your goals and memorize them. This is what I want to do by this time and have it memorized so you know exactly what you're going to do. You don't want to waste your life and get toward the end and feel like it was all for nothing. I don't feel like I accomplished anything with my life. You want to get to the end of your life feeling like, hey, it was good. I reached some goals. By the way, people usually 
reach about 80% of their goals. So even when you have these high goals, which I hope you have high goals, you might not reach them all. But if you shoot for something high, you're going to get something, I think. You know, you shoot for something low, then you're going to have mediocrity. But you shoot for something big. You might not reach it, but you're going to get somewhere going that direction. Two, insist on integrity. So in the word winner, the I is insist on integrity. Nothing lasts without integrity. Winners have integrity. In Proverbs 10.9, it says, The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. In business, if you take a crooked path, eventually people find out. And people don't want to do business with you anymore. You might get one step forward, two steps forward, three steps forward. They find out that you're a crook. They don't want to work with you anymore, and then you lose everything. Okay? If you have integrity, it might mean that you're, you have a slower start because you're being honest with people. You're not lying to them like the crook. So they use him first. They get burned. And then they find out, this guy, is, at least he tells the truth. I'm going to work with him. He gives me a fair estimate of what's really going to happen. There's no tricks. There's no deceiving going on. So integrity might, at the very beginning, might look like you're not being successful. Long term, it always pays off. The world is interested in image. How do I look? God's interested in integrity. Who are you? The world looks at the outside like, dress for success. God is saying, have integrity. It's less about how you dress on the outside. It's more about who you are on the inside. God looks on the inside. God says if you have integrity and you're a boss, you pay your people fairly. You, you treat your people right. You don't swindle your customers either. You know, you, you have integrity with everything you do. Proverbs 21.6 says, dishonest gain will never last, so why take the risk? Why do it? Because in the long term, it's going to ruin you. You're not going to get anywhere far in a company that's being dishonest. Proverbs 12, 3, wickedness never brings real success. You're not going to have real success with wickedness. So you have to have integrity. If you want to be a winner, if you want to last long-term and reach your long-term goals, be a man, be a woman of integrity. I can't believe the lack of integrity that's in our society. Advertising is about the appearance of truth. Well, that's lack of integrity when you understand that. It's about the appearance of truth. Advertising isn't always about the truth. I'm not saying every advertiser doesn't share the truth, but most advertising is about the appearance of truth. Make it appear to be this way, and people buy the product. But they might not be happy with the product they buy because you only, you, it only appeared to be a certain way. I can remember when I was a kid, and... For Christmas, I saw this, this uh, Batman. He was my hero back then. And all this stuff from Batman. And they made it in a magazine. They gave the appearance of truth. They made it look like you could do this. You could. And as a kid, I was just, you know, so excited about it. So I told my mom, I want that for Christmas. But when it came, it was, it was a dud. Everything was fake looking. It wasn't anything like the magazine. The magazine gave me the appearance of truth. This is going to be like Batman. But the reality of getting the gifts, it was horrible. And I remember that was my worst Christmas because the most important thing I wanted 
was it was a scam. It was a scam when you got the real thing. And it hurt me because of false advertising. You know, they made it look one way, but it wasn't. It was nothing like what they were advertising. Well, that's lack of integrity when you advertise without the truth. You want to be genuine. Long term, you'll win. You know, there's white collar scams, inside trading, money laundering. With technology, it's easier to steal money and all these different things that happen because what we're missing is the ethics. You want to be successful. You want your business to have ethics. You want to be a person with ethics. In Proverbs 16, 11, the Lord demands fairness in every business deal. He demands it. So as a follower of God, you have fairness. You're saying, I'm going to be honest even if it means not getting the sell. Or I'm going to be honest regardless of what it costs me. Because you're, you're a man, you're a woman of integrity. If you want to be a winner in business, you have to have integrity. The N on the word winner is never. Never make excuses. Proverbs has a lot to say about laziness. This is a funny one in Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. The lazy man is full of excuses. I can't go to work, he says. If I go outside, I might meet a lion in the street and be killed. You know, I, I don't know if there's any lions in the streets of Jerusalem, but... Uh, People make excuses all the time. I coach. I, I use uh, illustrations from coaching because I think when you're dealing with high school kids, you get a lot of different things that happen. But you should hear some of the creative ideas of why they can't wrestle this weekend. They'll come up with all kinds of you know, sicknesses and all kinds of things that their own parents don't even know that they're sick <laughs> because they're afraid to go that week or they're new or whatever the reason is, or they want to be with their friends, so they want to skip out on the tournament. But people can rationalize things. What's, what does that mean, rationalize? It's a rational lie. I think about it. When people give excuses about not getting involved in a church, which I've heard a lot of them, and I start thinking, compare those with their favorite sporting event, like the exact same thing that they say. Like, I don't want to go to church anymore because they always ask for money. Do you quit going to your football game because they ask for money? Don't you have to buy a ticket? Well, I'm not going to go to football anymore because they ask for money. I'm not going to ever go to a basketball game again because they ask for money. You see what I'm saying, how ridiculous it is? Or the people I sat next to weren't very friendly. Have you ever gone to a football game or a basketball game and they weren't that friendly to you, the people sitting next to you? So I'm never going to go to a baseball game again. No, you're just going to sit somewhere else. How about this one? Not so much here, but the seats were hard and uncomfortable. You know how some people have, churches have pews? Well, I'll tell you what, there's nothing more uncomfortable than sitting at some of the games I've been to, at some of the football games I've gone to. So the same excuse that they'll use for a church when it comes to something like that, they still go. How about this? The coach was too busy to talk to me. <laughs> people say the pastor's too busy. Why don't they say the coach is too busy? The referees made decisions I couldn't agree with. That's like saying a church council made a decision I couldn't agree with. Now, the funny thing is, month after month, they make a decision that you like. But after 12 months, they have 12 meetings. And 11 months of meetings, every decision was exactly what you like. But one month went against what you liked. And I'm not going to go back. You don't think of the 11 times that people got together and it was exactly what you wanted. You think of that one time that it didn't go your way. 
But people are like that with churches. The band played music that I didn't care for. Well, are you going to quit going to the basketball game because they're playing music that you don't care for? Or the game went overtime. No, you get sometimes more excited when it's overtime. Of course, I'll try not to get you guys too much more excited today. The games are scheduled at times that I want to do something else. No, you, you, make, you make a way to go. I was sitting with hypocrites because they were only here to talk to each other. They weren't here for the right purpose. <laughs> you hear that for church, but when it happens at a game, you ignore it. Or I don't go because my parents used to make me go to those football games when I was a kid. Have you heard that one? Some people say, I don't like to go to church. My parents used to make me go. I don't go to football games because my parents used to make me go. So you look at the excuses that people make about churches, and you put it to a sporting event, and people say, well, that's ridiculous. Nobody would quit going to football for that reason. But it's the very reasons that people give for not going to church. And it is ridiculous. We rationalize things instead of owning up to it. Maybe I just don't want to go, but we try to rationalize and blame and do this type of thing. In Proverbs 14, 23, it says, work brings profit, talk brings poverty. We all know good talkers that never do action. They talk, 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 but they never do. And God says, that's being lazy. You know, you're not going to make it that way. Ecclesiastes 5, 7 says, dreaming instead of doing is foolishness. Lazy people have a fantasy world. They like to dream, but it doesn't happen if you don't do it. Like I was saying, you can have all the best dreams in the world for your future, but if you don't act on it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's just foolishness. I've got to put it into practice. I've got to say, okay, this is my dream, so here's the steps I'm going to do to get to that dream. And I'm telling you, I say this because Christians sometimes have this idea that what it means to be a Christian is, this is my dream, so I'm going to pray that it happens miraculously. Guaranteed failure. Guaranteed failure. Because the Bible makes it very clear that that does not work. The Bible tells you, have a dream, plan diligently to reach that dream. It tells you to get up and do something. And it says that's your Christian witness. Your witness for God is they look at you like, hey, wow, look at that guy. He believes in God, and look at how he goes. We see it in athletics. If I want to be a star basketball player, I'm not going to get that way by praying that God miraculously makes me a star basketball player. I've got to practice. I've got to know my goal, and I've got to practice to get there. And you honor God by your effort. And people look at you and say, wow, if that's a Christian, I want to be that. But nobody respects a Christian that's praying on the sideline for God to do it miraculously. Because God doesn't teach us to do it that way. But a lot of people have that type of mentality as Christians because they misunderstand what faith means. Proverbs 13, 4. Lazy people want much but get little while the diligent are prospering. So you have to be diligent. It's not like I'm waiting for my ship to come in. No, it's like I'm going to swim out to the ship. I'm not going to wait till it comes in. I'm going after the ship. Because you know what happens when you wait for your ship to come in? It never comes in. It never comes in. You go after it. Number four on the word winner, if you want to be a winner at work, on that end, never stop learning. You always grow. You always develop. People that are successful are continuing to learn. Proverbs 15, 14. Intelligent people want to learn, but stupid people are satisfied with ignorance. If you're intelligent, you want to learn. 
What does that mean? Whatever field I'm in, I, I want to learn more. I want to learn more. Have you met people that the last time they cracked a book open was when they were studying for the last final in college? They said, now my education is over, and they were exactly right. Their education was over, and they were never going to get better than what they were then. And you know what? Times is changing, and information comes out, new stuff comes out, and they're like the dinosaur left behind. No, you constantly learn. Education at a university level never completes you. It teaches you how to study. The idea is so that you can study for life. It's not like, oh, I got my degree, I'm done. I'm the expert now. The books aren't even up to date. What students are studying in the books, research is already way ahead of it. And it might be five years down the road that the current research is in the books. So you're probably four or five years behind. You're not an expert when you get a degree. You're behind, but you've learned how to study. And that's what makes you successful is you learn how to study. So with the skills that you learn, you continue for life. You learn how to study. You study things. You continue to learn. You continue to read. That's how you become a winner. You don't become a winner when you get your degree and stop. That's guaranteed loser. Leaders are, are, are learners. You continue to learn more and more. Never stop learning. Proverbs 18, 15 says, the intelligent man is always open to new ideas. In fact, he looks for them. So the idea is, to be successful, you keep looking, you keep reading, you keep trying to find out what's the most current thing, the current information that's out there that can make you better at what you do. Whatever you do, it makes you better. One of the theories, the dinosaur says, they went extinct because they couldn't adapt to the environment. Are there dinosaurs at work? People that are becoming extinct at work because they can't adapt to the environment, because what happens, the environment's changing at work. You get, you're having new information. They say the average worker has to process and assimilate 24 times the information than just 10 years ago. That's a lot. That's a lot. There's always new stuff coming in, and you have to stay on it. You have to stay on it if you want to be successful. You want to always learn. You want to always grow. Growing businesses require growing businessmen and businesswomen because things are changing and you don't want to be left behind. How much has this changed in 10 years? It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. 10 years ago, I had a phone. It couldn't do a tenth of what this thing does. This is now my watch. This is my phone, too, believe it or not. Some people use this as a phone. It's got the weather report on it. It's got internet, text messaging. I mean, it's just unbelievable all the things I do with this phone. You know, I drive with it because of the maps, Facebook. I watch movies on Netflix. <laughs> Who can believe that? Can you imagine 10 years ago, someone going up to you and watching a movie? I mean, it's like, what's, what's, what's that? What's going on? Things are constantly changing. If you don't keep up with the times and you're in business, you're behind. You could be the sharpest business person right now, but if you don't continue to learn, you'll be a dud in 10 years, a dud. You'll be so far behind. The young people that have been studying, looking at things, they're going to laugh at you because you're going to seem like a dinosaur. 
So you constantly learn. That's how you have success. Where do you learn? One of the places you learn is in God's word. You can fill in the blank there. Proverbs says, despise God's word and you'll find yourself in trouble, but obey it and you'll succeed. If you want to learn, read God's word. You can read through the Bible over and over again and you'll still pick up new things. Number two there in those notes is wise people. You can learn from wise people. Get around people that are successful. If you see someone doing well, talk to them. Talk to them and find out why they're doing well. Get all the advice you can and you'll succeed. Without it, you will fail. Critics, you can learn from critics. In Proverbs 13, 18, it says, if you accept criticism, you're on the road to fame. How many people like to be criticized? I don't like to be criticized, but if you want to be on the road to fame, listen to your critics. Because people are going to criticize you, and probably there's some truth in it. So you listen to them, and you think, okay, their heart might be bad. The way they said it might be wrong, but can I learn from that? If you listen to your people that criticize you, okay, you're going to learn something. You're going to make some adaptions. How do you do that? You have to be thick-skinned and tender-hearted. If you're thin-skinned and hard-hearted, you're not going to learn from your critics, and you're going to get upset, and you're going to get worse, and you're going to get bitter. If you're thick-skinned so you can take it and tender-hearted so you can listen and say, can I really change? Is there truth there? You'll succeed. You'll succeed. You'll have a lot of success because Usually, there's some truth in what they say. Failure. You learn more from failure than from success. I see this all the time in the coaching. When one of my kids win the match, they're happy, but they didn't learn anything because what they used, what they already knew, was enough to win. They go out feeling happier, but they didn't learn anything. But when a kid loses a match, now he's all ears. Now he's all like, oh, wow, how did that guy get me? And now he's teachable. There are some kids that aren't teachable until after they lose. They lose, and now it's something I've been trying to show them in practice, but they don't seem to care. Then they lose, and then I say, now, now all of a sudden they're all ears. I show it, and they want to listen to everything because they understand that they need that because they lost because they didn't know. So your failures open you up for success because you learn from them if you choose to. Proverbs 28, 13, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never prosper. But if he confesses them and forsakes them, he gets another chance. So, wow, what I was doing was a mistake. You confess that to yourself, and then you say, okay, I'm going to change. That's how you succeed in life. The people that are successful aren't people that never fail. They're people that learn from their mistakes. You want to learn from your mistakes. Never waste a failure. I like how Thomas Edison says, I never call my mistakes failures. I call them an education. I like that. Because a failure sounds like, oh, I'm a loser. But he says, I, I had an education, which meant I learned from my mistakes. That's an education. You want to be educated. I've been educated by a lot of things that I've learned from my mistakes. What's my attitude toward learning? If your attitude is you can't teach an old dog new tricks, you're not going to get very far in life. But if you say, you know what? I'm going to continue to learn. I'm going to continue to build my skills. I'm going to, tend to, I'm going to continue to sharpen my skills. That's a person that's going to do great in life because you're constantly learning. Number five, economize your time and energy. Have you ever said this? I have. Where's all my time gone? Where did my time go? Sometimes we, we do that. Why? Because 
we didn't plan or we didn't economize our time and our energy, so it felt like we wasted the day. Everybody has an equal amount of time. Everybody has 160 hour, 168 hours a week. Nobody has more than that. Nobody has less. But some people tend to get more done in a week than other people because they've learned how to economize their time. They've learned how to economize their energy. They've learned how to not waste time. When you think about it, to waste time would be a sin because you're not really wasting time. You're wasting your life. It's different than money. Have you ever lost money? Well, you can get money back. You can. You can get money back. You can lose it and you can get it back. Have you ever lost time? Can you get it back? No, it's gone forever. You can never get your time back. And your time is your life. Wasting time is wasting your life. So it's way more serious. So I want to, when it comes to my time and energy, I want to use it right. I only have 168 hours a week. I want to get the most out of it by spending my time and my energy on the right things and handling it the right way. The Bible says, teach us to number our days. The Bible says, make the most of time because the days are evil. So I need to learn how to number my days. That means know how to plan your time so that you have success. Look at Ecclesiastes 8.6. There's a right time and a right way to do everything, but we know so little. And what he's saying is, there's a right time and a right way. What he's trying to encourage us to do is don't waste your time. Don't waste your energy. There is a right way to do it. But so many times we don't. So many times we're not using our time wise. What's one of the most spiritual things that we can do with our life? Learning time management. For some people, the most spiritual thing they could do is maybe buy a book on how to manage their time better. If I plan my time more efficiently, my marriage will be better because I'll have time for my marriage. If I plan my time more efficiently, my family time with my kids will be better. It's all about planning, being more efficient so that you can be more effective. You can do better at work with less hours. Ecclesiastes 10.10 gives us a great example of this. If the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. So it's like your life. It's like if you have an axe and your job is to cut wood and it's dull, a dull axe, and you're just chopping at that wood and you're thinking, this is so hard because the axe isn't sharp. And you're working, and you're working harder than everybody else, and they're doing better. You think, well, I worked so hard. That doesn't mean anything. You don't want to work harder. You want to work smarter. Okay? If you pride yourself on how hard you work, does that mean anything if you don't sharpen your axe? The smart guy, while he's chopping the wood down with his dull axe, the smart guy is taking his time to sharpen his axe. He feels like, oh, I'm ahead, I'm ahead, because I'm working harder. He's sharpening his axe. Then he goes here, and when he starts, his work is so much easier. Who do you think is going to chop the most wood? The person's smart enough to sharpen their axe. So we have this idea, I work so hard, I work so hard. Don't work harder, work smarter. That's how you're more efficient, figuring out ways to do it easier, figuring out ways to do it faster, using your energy and time in the best way possible. How do you do that? Read books on it. If I'm a truck driver, I want to figure out the most efficient way to do the job. If you could find out a way that would save you 30 minutes a day 
on your route and loading and loading. That's smart. 30 minutes a day. That's two and a half hours that you saved a week if you work five days a week. Two and a half hours. That's two and a half hours that might give you the time that you need for a date night with your wife to make your marriage better. You know, if you're a teacher, if you're an accountant, if you're a homemaker, if you're a student, if you're a student, you want to find out better ways to study. It was really hard being an athlete and in college during that season because the teachers don't care that you have more practice and you're traveling here and traveling there. They don't care about that. They still expect you to have the same grades as everybody else. But you can't. You can't unless you work smarter instead of working harder. So what we would do is we would all take classes together. And then we were studying, because it was faster this way. I would study one chapter. They used to study chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five. And I would just read one. So it took five people all reading one chapter. And then I would share, because I could read that and study that one. I would share with them chapter one. They would share about chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five. And then we'd go in and we'd all pass the test and do pretty good. It was five people working together. We had to learn how to work smarter because I couldn't get it done. How am I going to read all the stuff I'm supposed to read and be practicing day? And we were exhausted after practice. And then traveling over here this day and traveling. Like, how do they expect us to pass our classes? We had to work smarter, not harder. I could have stayed up to two in the morning every night and worked harder. Or I read one chapter. We just were smarter. That we, we were approaching it in an easier way. And it was five times easier than the average student studying on their own. So that's what it's saying. Figure out ways like, what's, we didn't come up with that. You know who taught us how to do that? Our coaches. Our coaches. Because you know what? They dealt with this all the time. If we didn't make grades, they don't have athletes. So the coaches taught us what to do. Here's how you do it. And then we obeyed and we did it. And we passed our classes in the midst of hectic, hectic, hectic schedules that are unimaginable. But we passed our classes. We did well, actually. So learning the easier way is working smarter, not harder. You can either waste your time, spend your time, or invest your time. You can waste your time, you know, maybe on soap operas and eating popcorn. Or you can maybe spend your time on something good. You can spend your time doing something good. But you want to invest your time in the things that are going to pay off. So that's a part of working, you know, smarter, not harder, is invest your time in things that are going to really pay off for you and your family. And number six on the word winner is the letters R, resolve. Resolve to stick with it. Part of being successful is just simply not giving up. If you want to be successful, you just keep going. You just keep going. You don't give up. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says, Do you know a hardworking man? He shall be successful and stand before kings. Hardworking means don't give up. We know you want to work smarter, but you still want to work hard. You still want to work hard because if you're working smarter and hard, you're going to be really successful. But you have to do that. You have to endure. You have to be determined not to give up because it's hard. Sometimes you want to give up. There's a myth out there that says successful people are successful because they do things right. It is not true. Successful people make the same amount of mistakes as everybody else. But everybody else, when they make those mistakes, they get discouraged and give up. And the successful people don't get discouraged. They learn from it, and they keep going. They make other mistakes. They learn from it, and they keep going. It's a mentality difference. 
You make mistakes, you can't be defeated and just call it quits and say, I'm a loser, I'm never going to do anything good. Think about the most successful basketball player. They miss half their shots. And they're the superstar. And they miss half their shots. The best quarterback, he misses 40% of his passes. And he's the best one. In baseball, if you're the very best, you'll get to first base about 40% of the time. That means 60% of the time you don't even make it to first base. Oil companies with expert geologists working with them so they know where to drill so they get the right place, they're only successful one out of 10 times. You know they have the best experts out there. You know, you think like, man, they're going to hit it every time. How about actors? They're, you talk about people that have to have a winning spirit. The average actor goes to 30 auditions in order to get one job. That means you went and got turned down 29 times. You know, if I went one time, I got turned down. I said, oh, that's okay, two, three, four. After the fifth turn down, I said, I guess I'm just not an actor. They don't like me. But no, this is common. You go and you go and it takes about 30 auditions before, okay, I want you. So, man, that takes a lot. The winners in the stock market, they usually only make money out of two of their five investments. That means 60% of what they invested in didn't work out, but the other 40% is what paid off to make up the difference. If at first you don't succeed, you know what that means? It means you're human. It just means that you're human, that you're going to make mistakes. So that's why you just say, hey, that's a part of being human. I'm learning from this, and I keep going. In Proverbs 24, 16, it says, For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. I have felt like this. Have you ever felt like you've fallen seven times? Like you try, and then, oh, that didn't work. And then you try, and oh, that doesn't work. Have you ever felt like that? It says, for though a righteous man may fall seven times, he rises again. What makes you righteous? Falling seven times or rising again? They're righteous because they rose again. What does that mean? They're righteous because they didn't give up. That's what made you righteous. It's not that, you know, you fell seven times. And you know what this tells me? Is good people try things that don't work. It's called them righteous, man. That means good people try things that don't work. But why are they good people? Because they have the resolve to get up and try again, to get up and try again. It's a mentality that says, hey, I'm going to learn from this. I'm not giving up. I'm in here to win. And then you keep going. Winners don't give up. Ray Kroc, the guy that he bought McDonald's from the McDonald's brothers. I don't remember how much he paid for it, but it wasn't that much. But he was 52 years old. Ray Kroc was not that successful before that time, but he was, 50, he was trying things that didn't always work. But when he saw McDonald's and he saw their system of how they do fast food, he thought, man, this is something else. So he bought it from them. And the McDonald's brothers were very happy to sell it. They thought that they made a killing off their restaurant. Little did they know. Because <laughs> he took that restaurant and it's all over the world now. And can you think about all the people that have had jobs through McDonald's how about the people that sell McDonald's supplies? Can you imagine if you were a toothpick company and the only person you ever sold toothpicks to, the only company was the McDonald's Corporation, and they had, let's say that they have toothpicks in all of their McDonald's. Do you know that you'd be a multimillionaire just selling toothpicks to McDonald's and, and they put it all over the world? I mean, 
just one guy doing something different and spreading it like that, he, made, he turned to other people into millionaires because they said he had a relationship with them. Will you be my supplier? Man, they didn't know when they said yes to him at the beginning that he was going to turn them into multimillionaires. They just said, yeah, we'll supply you. And never knowing how, what it was going to grow to. So he's 52 years old. That tells you, don't think my life's over. Maybe your best is yet to come. Make the rest of your days the best of your days. Don't ever give up. You keep persisting. We looked at six things from Proverbs that teaches us how to be winning at work. Work with a purpose. What am I here for? Insist on integrity. Make sure that you're doing the right things, that you don't cheat people. You're somebody that can be trusted. Never make excuses. Never stop learning. Have good time management. Don't waste your energy. And don't give up. When I say don't give up, does that mean that you never change a job? No. Sometimes in the process, don't give up means that it, it means simply that. Don't give up. You might be in a job situation, and the right thing for you to do is to quit that job and take this job. That's not being a quitter. Sometimes you're, you're progressing, like for your family or something. You're working for a different company, and you're working here, and then you have an opportunity to take this other job that's going to take you the next step. That's just being smart, right? You know, sometimes it's smart to hang on to what you have. Sometimes it's smart to give it up and take that next step. I'm not saying you're a quitter by giving up a job and moving to the next step to improve yourself. But what I'm saying is you don't give up. You're not going to be the type of person that says, like me, for example, I'm 55 years old. It's too late. If anything's great is going to happen, it would have already happened by now. That's, that's what it means to give up. And you don't give up. You say, no, I'm going to make the rest of my life the best of my life. And you keep going for it, and you keep going for it. That's how you become a winner. And God wants you to win. God wants you to win. Sometimes, I mean, God wants you to win so much, and the only thing that holds us back is ourselves. We're not willing to go for it and trust Him and believe in Him. You know, I have kids on the wrestling team. And some of them can be so good, and I'm trying to encourage them, but they just don't believe in themselves. They're really good. But if you don't believe in yourself, when you get in that match, you're going to be timid. You're going to be afraid to go for it. And I know how good they are. And I know if they go for it, they're going to win. But they, they lack that confidence. They lack that confidence. That's how we are with God sometimes. God is saying, I believe in you. You can do so much. I'm behind you. But we just don't have that confidence, and we're afraid to go for it. And God is saying, go for it. Go for it. And what's the worst that can happen? You try it. It doesn't work out. People might say it fell, but you know it's really an education. And then you try again. Try again. All right? God wants you to succeed. So with that, let's pray. God, I want to learn to work with a purpose. Lord, give us a vision, a sense of mission for our lives. Lord, help us to insist on integrity. Lord, we don't want to make excuses. We don't want to just talk about it. We want to go for it and do something. We don't want to dream about something. We want to put that dream into action. We want to have the initiative to make things happen. Lord, help us to always learn, to never stop learning. Lord, we know that once we stop learning, we're going to stop leading. We want to be wise so, Lord, we're making a commitment to keep learning, even from our critics and from our failures. 
Father, we want to commit our time and energy to you. We want to use it in the best way possible so we can have successful lives and balanced lives. Lord, help us to continue to develop our skills. Lord, and more than anything, we never want to give up. We want to keep trying to better our lives, to better our marriage, to better our family situation, to continue to work toward goals that are good for our life. Lord, we want to be winners. We give our lives to you and we dedicate these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.